This is Audio Gyan and I am your host Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. Einstein once said, if you want your children to be intelligent, read them fairy tales. If you want them to be more intelligent, read them more fairy tales. He also said logic can get you from a to z but imagination can get you everywhere why am i talking about this uh, in today's episode we'll be documenting all about play and work for this we have nitesh mohanty and sonal choudhary with us on audio gan nitesh is an educator photographer art director writer curator a jj and a bombay boy now in goa uh, he did his post grad from nid ahmedabad uh, specializing in textile design and sonal is a visual communication designer writer educator we'll be discussing about their new venture or should i call it a school of thought called plork well uh, let's find that out in our case study today welcome nitesh and sonal to audio gan it's a real real pleasure to have you on the show delight the delight is all ours kedar um, we are thrilled to be here and we can't even wait to share our hearts and everything that hearts carry with you in a very unflinching and free flowing way awesome great looking forward and and i was very intrigued by when i saw the launch of plork uh, i don't know whether i missed by few days but i i stumbled upon it on instagram uh, and was very fascinated because it somewhere resonates with audio gan also where i'm trying to go like looking at the breadth of people that i have spoken to uh, like you can see that the pursuit is towards going beyond ui ux or the very siloed definition of design and just exploring and expanding uh, as our common friend ayas keeps saying uh, expanding minds so let's see like like what what is plork i'll i'll jump into those questions but before that can you both like maybe uh, sonal you can start like just tell us a bit about your background Uh, which school of thought have you come from, or like how 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 has been your design art kind of a journey, a writing journey has has come along? Uh, thank you, Kedar, for having us here. And uh, I've been a, a graduate from Saint Xavier's Calcutta, which I shy away from talking about most of the times because I was a student of commerce, and uh, I did apply for literature because that was my first love. Uh, uh, reading Shakespeare. and ruskin bond in school days uh, made me fall in love with literature language grammar but uh, i think uh, my parents uh, were coming from that school of thought that how are you going to make a living by studying literature and are you going to be a teacher and coming from calcutta which is still like a small city not evolved uh, as much i was like okay i'll do commerce and but the heart uh, needed something more than that so i went to myka to understand where on this creative journey to i stand and then from the words i moved to the world of visuals and i started exploring myself as a designer but uh, i was realizing that if you don't articulate your process uh, you can't really call yourself a designer so for me more than skills articulation became important that's when i went to shishti to do my masters and in between that i worked as a designer but i worked more at the intersection of education and design and that's where i realized that what i missed in my education 
uh, was how education was designed itself. Uh, there's one uh, real glaring design problem that uh, fascinates me uh, when I look at the education system. So the school of thought uh, I come from is at the intersection of education and design. And how can we look at those problems and uh, those system designs, which have really not evolved uh, ever since industrialization happened? And uh, how can we relook at those problems and find new answers? Interesting. I have like yeah, a lot of double clicks, but yeah, uh, Nitesh, you you want to just tell us about your background? Yes. So I was born in a small town called Raulkela, and my claim to fame with Raulkela is even Mirana was born there. So I think that's how I introduced <laughs> myself. But being a steel plant city, it had very little to offer, uh, but uh, very rigorous education. So I went to missionary schools, and uh, but my father kept traveling and. Uh, very early on in his life and in my life, we both agreed that I'm not good at academics. So he somehow had planned his way and we landed in Bombay. And I was uh, lucky enough to get through JJ School of Arts where I did my formative art education. And I'm talking about the early 90s when post-liberalization, the world was shifting. and But it was also a very volatile time because there was the Babri Masjid and the world was... Uh, waking up to new realities around religion, secularism. So I think it was my coming of age moment when I had to pause and question myself about a lot of fundamental things which growing up you don't address. Yeah. So um, I think I think it was a time when I started having a conversation with myself, which has not ended, and I hope it never ends because I think uh, an art school like JJ offers you um, a name to reckon with but very little to enrich yourself because the structure of how JJ is designed is very limiting to art education, which can be very vast. That's the reason why I had to push myself out of those very limited gates um, where the learning mostly happened outside of it in the, uh, the footpaths of Laura Fountain, sitting by the booksellers or even sauntering into uh, Jahangir Art Gallery at that point of time. It was the only one gallery in Bombay where you could see a new art show every Friday. Uh, like a new film releases in Bollywood every Friday, we looked forward to a Padamsi or a Raza or a Hussain showing their work to us and us learning from them because our learning within the confines of the classroom was so limited. We were hungry to learn outside of the classroom. But that wasn't that wasn't enough and the world wasn't enough. So I was again blessed and privileged enough to enter the gates of National Institute of Design where um, I, I realized how big the world is because, you know, there's a beautiful term in Bengali called Kupamunduk, which is a frog in the well. Uh, the frog in the well is uh, lives in an illusion that this is the world. And I felt like a Kupamunduk when I was in JJ. But when I went to NID, I understood uh, India is such a vast country and there are people from different parts of the country who have very distinct voices, languages, identities through which they think and through which they design and they create. And that uh, learning became my school of thought. The idea that learning never ends. idea that the moment you felt that you know uh, could be the end of your learning, your pursuit. So... I think coming from two of the finest schools, one art, one design, made me realize there's so much more to learn, so much more to grasp. So my school of thought is learning and a lifelong pursuit of learning. I'm still learning. I'm uh, when when I would walk into any classroom, I would be the 
most hardworking student in the classroom because I would learn much, much more than what my students would walk into the classroom with. And my job then became just to enrich myself with ideas that I could enrich others with. Awesome. That's that's very, very inspiring. And uh, yeah, as I said, like there will be a lot of overlap because the, the school of thoughts itself resonates a lot. But yeah, moving on to uh, what is Plork? Like, uh, again, opening up for both of you, like, what is it? Why are you doing this? Who is it for? Yeah, just like a very landscapish view of what is Plork. Um, so Plork was uh, born with this idea that, uh, you know, we are, uh, we were looking at both our lives and we were questioning that uh, we don't pause, we don't play, we just keep working. And there are very few of these moments when you say, I really had a lot of fun doing this. And I think the last time we spoke of those was either when, uh, for him, when his students created work, which probably the last time when I was in the classroom and when I was in Shishti and the outcome was not so important but the process was. So uh, this whole questioning of the obsession of a designer or a creative person with the outcome which takes away the play from the work is uh, is the starting point of Plock as a school of thought. And uh, when we look at Plock, we realize that because we both have uh, common interests of education and design, uh, we wanted to keep it a space where uh, we have the school and we also have the studio. So uh, the school informs the studio and vice versa. But, uh, like Nitesh said, we never stop learning. And uh, we want to bring new learning and fresh ideas and new things we discover into the studio space uh, that we uh, that we want to where we want to create new projects. And one example of such uh, a best practice is an intern is joining us next month. And uh, while she will be working with us uh, in the studio space, we've also added taken the liberty to enroll her to the school and uh, put her on a course uh, or ways of seeing because if she will not learn from the school uh, how will she inform the studio so when uh, the school when when design schools are bringing their students out to the industry saying now go get industry uh, experience we are saying that we are industry but we are also school so you really never leave the classroom you stay there you learn there and you create there so that's that's what how that's how block is envisaged yeah, um, yeah, for me, if I can respond, and I'll just kind of also take you slightly um, away from the moment of inception to where the thought seeped into my mind. I think I was in Curious Design after a couple of years, uh, pre-pandemic, uh, and um, and I sat there listening to the likes of David Carson, uh, Timothy Goodman, and uh, Anna Ginsberg. And uh, I had this very interesting conversation with Ayaz at that point of time. And because there were other speakers from India also. And I asked Ayaz, uh, why are our work looks so serious? Whereas they are also addressing, like Anna Ginsberg has done this very beautiful animated film called What is Beauty? Which came from her inquiry into her sister's life where uh, she had to be hospitalized because she had uh, extreme responses to anorexia because she was so beauty conscious, um, which came from a very personal space, but had universal resonance. So, and Ayaz said, I don't know, man, I think we take our work very seriously. 
And perhaps the West um, is more liberated and not burdened with existential challenges to bring in the sense of joy in creation. Because if you look at the work of Timothy Goodman and Anna Ginsberg and Carson, they're all playing. Uh, the output of play is work, but they're all playing. They're playing with the medium, playing with uh, culture codes, context, relationships, uh, design, uh, type, uh, expression. And um, I came back and had this conversation with Sonal and some of my students in the classroom. And he said that perhaps we are not creating fearless work because we are not playing enough. We are not taking enough chances. We are not stumbling and falling uh, graciously and goofily. Uh, and that thought, I mean, I think one of the beautiful things about design education or, or being art practitioners, you don't leave your thoughts. Uh, you will let them trouble you. And uh, we let that thought trouble us till we conceive block. Um, it is an ambition. It is an aspiration. It is a dream. It is a pursuit. But hopefully we'll be able to create discourses, if not classrooms, where people can walk in fearlessly and embrace it as a safe space to fumble. Uh, and from those fumblings, um, perhaps we'll discover a new way of looking at the world around us. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's what block is in some sense. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, I have like two small digressions, which uh, because like one is very uh, this thing that I think were you because I had attended live when I think Timothy Goodman and uh, Anthony Burrell was there. It was yes. the same one. Yes, same I was one. there. Yes, in fact, yes. that's when I, I interviewed Anthony also. Oh, lovely. Yeah, we, we just got in a room because uh, Rajesh was helpful and he said like, yeah, you can take it. So we just yeah, sat I don't in know one room. I, yeah, I don't know how I forgot Anthony. In fact, that that curious was stellar. The mm. the lineup was uh, so luminescent. And I think the, the theme for that curious was uh, contrarian, uh, contrarian ideology or how, how to bring contrarian ideas into... Uh, your work and your design and your expression. And I think, yeah, and I, I hope you resonate with what I was trying to say about okay. the work being so playful. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, is it saving the the glaciers uh, in, in a remote part of the world or bringing, uh, you know, more awareness towards carbon footprint within urban setups? I think that approach to uh, solving those very heavy loaded um, challenges was playful. They didn't start uh, being worried about it. They started uh, thinking uh, with the lightness of being in some yeah. sense. But mm. does it have to do with like a very stable economic background? Or economics is, yeah, I mean, it's just another factor or is it the critical factor? Because when a roti kapda makan is sorted, so then you can go to art, right? Like, wo, like how do you look at those things. I think when Nitish was talking, I was going to tell you this. This is not just economy, but it's also cultural. I remember Devdat Patnayak had said in one of the conferences that if uh, you leave a tiger inside a cage for a very long time, even if you have unlocked the cage, after a while, the tiger won't leave because the tiger is caged. Uh, we are a colonized country. Design is not our first language. And we have always borrowed from the West. So culturally, we, we, this is still an area where we are learning by imitating. Art was never the language we spoke. Art is the language we learn to speak over time, looking at the Western artists and what we are capable of. Uh, so for me, uh, 
and uh, uh, like what we are if if we if we didn't have this history and uh, we wouldn't have struggled so much uh, maybe that's why it comes down to roti kapda makan for us and the engagement with art is reduced to that that will it like the first thing my parents told me was that will you be able to sustain this this whole love for literature sure. right so it comes down to that much and that comes from where we come from which is our history Yeah, no, yeah. Well, it's it's true, Kedar. I think uh, 1992 I joined JJ, and my father was concerned. क्या तू झोला लेके जांगेर के बाहर घूमेगा? And we are in 2023, and we happen to speak to someone who recently joined a block uh, school of thought, or one of our workshops, and she was an aspiring artist. She is an aspiring artist, and she she said even my father is worried about the same thing. तू क्या खादी पहन के गैलरीज के बाहर घूमेगी सो इट इज अपॉलिंग फ्रॉम नाइनटी टू टू ट्वेंटी ट्वेंटी थ्री एंड वी आर टॉकिंग that's where the conversations should shift how we can economize art how we can make value and see value and also reap value through art and not just the few privilege up there but everyone and and in terms and that means we are talking about accessibility that means we are talking about education that means we are talking about liberating art from the idea of how it is perceived by let's start with the middle class who look at it as uh, something that is uh, very far and distant and not something that's kind of intrinsic to their existence yeah i was like, reading uh, this papers uh, sorry slightly longer response but uh, it spoke about the scientists of our country and how uh, in the realms of science and medicine we've been able to produce enough research and paper uh, to uh, put to put ourselves forward to to the world and to speak about ourselves uh, and it said that it's just the mere articulation which has uh, which the designers and the artists have not taken responsibility of we have not been good archivists how many how many people in india archive their work and how many people in india make their process available to generations who are about to come and learn the same practice unlike science and unlike medicine where everything is documented and everything is produced as a way of looking back and learning from there so when dekho came as a public when he got me the book uh, i was stunned i was like oh my god we have because that was the first window to look at our own country and our designers and our people and their work uh, and i think largely we have uh, you know somewhere missed the bus in documenting things and that's why i think a space like this this becomes so crucial because uh, we are losing uh, archives every day yeah 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 it's fascinating like it's it's yeah i'm because uh, the only ray of hope when i started audio gan was uh, when i met uh, bb doshi uh, and like people like him or nilkan chaya uh, like are kind of i would say beaten holders to know that yes we had some rich history and legacy somewhere in the last whatever like 500 years it must have gone in the colonization period but yeah we can fall back to a bunch of things where there is something to be proud about and then like now start documenting yeah yeah and also second thought to that was that maybe 
I can. I, are you aware of uh, Alag Angle? No. Okay. So what what I can do is like after the show uh, we'll talk about this. Uh, but I interviewed uh, the founder uh, and one of the founders, uh, Tanul, and uh, they started Alag Angle in Nagpur, and it's okay. almost a similar setup where <laughs> they have a studio space and they uh, invite like anybody from age of five four to to. Hundred also, and just have fun. Uh, everything they have like saw machines to computers to tablets to like uh, whatever like music musical instruments. Everything like just the breadth of things, and it has been growing organically for last sixteen eighteen years. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great case study. Uh, so maybe I'll link that in the show notes uh, as an episode. But yes, coming back to our <laughs> conversation. So so actually, I wanted to ask uh, Sonal uh, now that. Paula Sher in her famous TED talk, right? Like she said, great design is serious, not solemn. Yes. So, like you spoke about, we archiving, we documenting, and and Nitesh also spoke about having that play and fun. What is your take, like, uh, and and following up on the earlier thread also? Yes. So that I'm is, myself. <laughs> I'm a very serious person, and I've not uh, uh, celebrated that enough. But when uh, I was listening to Paula's share, I realized that uh, I'm also a gamer at heart. Like I have grown up to playing a lot. Like I love playing. And uh, if you put me on any video game, I think I won't get up or even a board game. So I'm, I am a compulsive player. And uh, when I heard Paula share, I was uh, thinking about the seriousness that play requires. Like, you know, uh, when we were uh, over the weekend, which was the only time we would get to play, uh, we would take it goddamn seriously. Like, you don't get to mess up my points, you know, if you are playing with me and I'm partnering with you, you take it seriously. So, uh, I think seriousness has that uh, quality of creativity, of being naive, of being honest to the process that you are being part of or the game that you are being part of and uh, about design being solemn or serious I'm a little divided because we all want to be serious and not feel solemn about it Uh, but uh, internally uh, it just feels like uh, you begin with that romantic journey of I'm going to play with this client and I'm going to show them the best designs and I'm going to have some fun and then somewhere you reach and you realize that maybe you have to give into the status quo for some projects and you say, okay, I think it's like you said, it comes down to roti, kapra, makan and you say, okay, I think I have to take a call here and the work that I did seriously and not solemnly can maybe be in my folder of portfolio and this can be in the work that I actually give to the client. Uh, So Nitesh interestingly has a folder of rejects, uh, which is his most enduring folder and he can talk about that uh, more in the context of Solomon seriousness. Hmm. 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 Yeah, Yeah. So I. Uh, so I've heard that Ampolasha is one of our favorite designers. We really look up to her uh, for the kind of conversations she's been able to create around graphic design. And and Sonal and I were just having this conversation when we revisited the TED Talk recently. Is how when we talk to young designers and young learners and students. Uh, we ask them, what do you love? Tell us who inspires you. Tell us uh, what you uh, admire in the world and how you can borrow from your passion, your love, your admiration into your work. 
But I think uh, what Paul Asher also reminds us of to be very clear about what you dislike, what you are concerned with, and what you don't really love, and what doesn't appeal to you. If not for her dislike for Helvetica, she wouldn't have taken her play with typography as seriously. And, and that is something to learn from, like because otherwise... You can be in love with the most obvious things and not play with uh, the whole world of unobvious madness that is lying next to it, right? And I think that's what happens when we fall into the danger of uh, the populist culture. We stop playing with what lies outside of popular culture and we stop recognizing them as value or joy or something to reckon with. So I, I think um, for me, solemn and serious have maybe certain overlaps okay so i don't i don't buy into that construct uh, immediately and I, I as much as a fanboy paula sure i have um, i could have a conversation uh, with her about it maybe when you're offering a ted talk you need your cues and then you build everything around your cues and maybe solomon serious were her cues and then she very beautifully illustrated but for me personally uh, solemn and serious overlap for me at least yeah and then i'm saying okay fine that 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 is a space i can agree to disagree with but what is that i can learn from her beyond um certain cues and certain um pegs on which she is uh, offering the whole idea um so for me uh, very recently i've started understanding let me list down all the things that are problematic in the world and then can what can be um a response, uh, a designer response, an artistic response, a creative response to those challenges, those concerns, those dislikes. Uh, because otherwise, you know, we we are only making the good better, but we are not addressing the bad. Uh, and I that is where uh, the challenge starts beginning, right? Like, um, but but these are these are again um, introspective, and and when you get a project. You make it outrospective. Uh, otherwise, the conversation is mostly with the self and when you're addressing your own work. Yeah. Correct, correct. Yeah. Even recently, very recently, it was, I don't know, very serendipitous moment. Like, because uh, as you people mentioned, that we are in this constant grind of like working day in, day out, no time for self reflection or just thinking at large, right? Like, and somehow I was. I've been in a process of hiring few designers and asking them questions. So one of the questions is, what does design mean to you? And I was just trying to ask myself, what does it mean? And somehow I landed up in a very different answer this time. It was about questioning. It's not yeah. about like solving, but it's about questioning. And then I somehow subconsciously, I must have heard about, heard Jonathan Ive talking about it. Uh, so there are obviously influences it came out very organically within me that and I think that is what you are also pointing that she's questioning that why is Helvetica important like why is Helvetica beautiful why is it like the world's favorite font like just screw that <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah. and 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 I think questioning is what we were not taught in our education systems whereas any kind of education should begin with questions and not answers it's ironical that our education systems were designed around answers. If you write the right answer, you get the grade and the percentage and the rank. Unfortunately, this is what has ruined the world because then people stopped asking questions because either 
our, our mentors or teachers were not equipped to offer answers to all kind of uncomfortable questions beyond the syllabus or the students were not brave enough or fearless enough to even ask outside, uh, ask anything outside of the realm of geography and history and uh, social science that we were learning. And then our uh, education became so linear, then how will our practice become dynamic? And how will our practice become playful and fearless? When we, we were not fearless in the classrooms, how can we be fearless with our projects and our creative ideas? Yeah, so yeah. The, the, the root of the problem lies way you know, deep down in how we grew up, you know, the kind of schools we went to, the kind of teachers we had. But amidst all of this, there was some glimmer of hope. I'm sure there was that one teacher who allowed you to voice your opinion. And I'm sure there was, even if there was no one teacher, something, someone in your life empowered you to speak your heart out. And that's where learning happened. Yeah. I have a lot of questions around that but okay we'll stick to the script because it will just keep digressing so so you spoke about education right like uh and also with audio can i've been trying to talk to multiple like wide range of people actually and in plurk uh like the initial proposition or kind of your positioning is also that you want to go broad like expose yourself to say poets chef philosophers uh, so what 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 makes you go so broad um and while, yeah, these days, as you said, linear, but most of the curriculum or most of the format is designed towards getting that job done or designing, yeah, as Charlie Chaplin famously <laughs> shown in his film, like it's about just getting that task. So yeah. I want, I'll do this task. You pay me for that. I'll be happy. Nothing beyond it. So like, yeah, what, what, what is your inspiration or where are you at in terms of going so broad with education? You, you know, Kedar, something very interesting happened when the pandemic um, came upon us and I was chairing the creative program um, in my at that point of time. So as a, as a self-inquiry, uh, we listed a bunch of questions in fact, Sonal was also part of it. And we asked, what's the future of education? What's going to save humanity uh, if the pandemic persists, if this is the vulnerable world that we have to embrace? And we threw a bunch of questions, around 10 questions, to a wide array of people from Varun Grover to uh, Anurag Banerjee to Shankar Raman. So a cinematographer, a photographer, a writer. And we also uh, threw it beyond the creative people like Viri Stroud to people in the corporate sector and from different brands and uh, agencies and uh, like institutions, uh, like a wide mix of people. And strangely, the data that we collected reminded that uh, no matter where the world goes or what happens to the world, we will have to fall back on philosophy and which is which, is, which was the common response across. And then uh, you understand the relevance of some ideas with, which was kind of put forth centuries ago, you know, even after all that is made and broken, we might have to go back to Aristotle, we might have to go back to Plato, we might have to go back to Freud and Jung and uh, Kang. And, and I think these people have put forth ideas which will live beyond you, me and everyone else. So I think why philosophers? Why poetry? Because I think they remind us to be human. Uh, 
despite and in spite of the adversities and the endurances that life will put us through. They remind us of the difference between remaining sane and insane in a moment of traversity. They remind us of what will keep us afloat when you know the whole world is drowning so so that wisdom which is which which they distilled from you know the, the the lives that they lived and the lives that they lost and how can we deny ourselves that learning how can we say the 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 future is meta the future is meta but uh, you know like bob marley says in this great future you cannot forget the past and i think we will have to go back to uh, the ideas that keep us alive in the worst of our moments. And perhaps, uh, you know, doing great jobs and earning great paychecks will uh, keep our pockets full and our coffers filled. Uh, but um, what will sustain the soul uh, when we are lonely uh, upon a certain day when there is no one to, to recognize all that glory that you have amassed upon yourself? And that's where you'll have to seek solace and refuge in poetry. That's where you will have to make sense of, uh, you know, what Camus said and, and what Sartre left behind for us to ponder. So I think uh, philosophy and poetry are intrinsic to human existence. I don't think it is, it is a luxury. It is something that you do to feel good. And it is your ability if you can um, internalize it. So in your worst of the moments, you will fall back on a Rumi and hopefully he should make sense. And, and it is not uh, something romantic. It is uh, extremely existential. And, and you have to allow yourself that portal. Uh, and, and why uh, chefs? Uh, it's strange. We spoke about philosophers, poets, and chefs. Because, uh, uh, like, we go back to this poet called Massimo Baturo, uh, Italian chef. And Massimo, uh, very interestingly, borrows... Um, from and all like all great chefs, uh, he borrows from uh, his grandmother's kitchen, right? I think no matter how gastronomic uh, his experience, culinary experiences are, I think uh, what he's doing is um, he's creating something that is so fundamental to uh, our lives, which is food, yeah, mm. and and carrying those stories which would have gotten lost. I think. The, the food we that we serve on the plate is is a example of how creativity has endured over time something that was cooked like ages ago by your grandmother still is being spoken about on a dinner table right i think i think we have to recognize and value these as great heroic creative acts that people very quietly brought into our, our homes uh, but never were celebrated, were never got their due, uh, and never books were not written about them. So I think these are these are great acts of creative uh, courage for us. Uh, writing a piece of poem which would save someone's life, uh, cooking something and serving it on someone's plate, which reminded of the joy of being honest, uh, and at some point of time reminding themselves of authenticity, and and philosophy, which kind of saw them through some of the most perplexing times of their life. And how do you not acknowledge these things as uh, a way of learning? And that's what we try and bring into PLOC and into our sessions. And we surprise our learners uh, of how diverse a school uh, of inspiration can be rather than the usual suspects. Hmm. Interesting. I, I remember like recently I made a poster 
I'm I'm these days into a little bit of letterpress printing. So selecting my words or messages which I want to uh, with good typography, and uh, I made a poster which is I'll, I'll link in the show notes. But it somewhat goes like this: that all you need is rice and rose. So I think rice is covered in the chef piece, and yeah. rose is obviously poetry and philosophy. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nitesh, you spoke about uh, just now, like having that intrinsic motivation or or uh, having that inherent need for these things, right? Like now, what points me to is that it comes from within. Then. i have been struggling all my career to like generally give that insight somewhere that you like nobody can't teach you taste right yeah. it's very very difficult it's inherent or it's is it acquired but even if it's acquired you have to like go towards it like i i used to like when i first heard begum akhtar or kumar gandharv i was like just no like i can't right and after 7 years of listening now i can't listen to anything else like now i've almost confined myself to that uh and i think so how how do you look at taste or or maybe like is acquiring taste during education important uh what is yeah i've did a separate complete episode on aesthetic but yeah just uh, like what what where are you with this word called taste yeah, yeah. i think for me taste um the the quest for taste or the the journey of taste uh, begins with your ability to remain open uh your openness to different um tastes uh, builds your taste uh, your taste will not be built with preconceived notions conditioning uh, narrowing down of uh, your understanding of the self i think uh i'll i'll give you an example of course we all are conditioned like uh i grew up in a odia household and so i was exposed to odia food right and then when i came to bombay of course i fell in love with vada pav but if i was just in love with odia food and wasn't open to the pav bhaji and the vada pav and the franki at church gate station my taste wouldn't have evolved and and if i wouldn't have nurtured that ability to remain open when i landed in nid the patra and the khandvi and the jalebi i know we are going literal here but this is just a great analogy like i i know people who can't go beyond uh, kali dal makhani paneer and uh, you know uh, uh, some so some sars no sarso the sag is beautiful i mean i'm i'm seeing i'm seeing still very fundamental but i think then how do you understand sushi or how do you understand um something bruschetta i think it is your curiosity your your ability to understand that my palate will only grow when i open myself to different tastes similarly in design we we will fall in love with few designers we will fall in love with few filmmakers we will fall in love with few artists but there's a world outside of them and there's a world outside of them and it's almost like that onion ring right you might be in the center of the onion ring with knowing that this is again my world and my artist and my designer and my taste but if you open yourself and you're curious enough to discover what lies outside in the next ring and the ring outside of that and the ring outside of that you're just broadening your um the the different flavors that lie outside of the familiarity and the moment you do that is it 
Oh, I didn't know. Um, oh, there is a European filmmaker called Kieslowski, and he has made this beautiful film called Blue. Your understanding of Blue could come from what is very close to you. Perhaps it's the indigo. Uh, perhaps it's uh, you know the 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 mood which floats when you listen to Kishori Amonkar. But I think Kieslowski is also responding to the color with his cultural understanding, and I think. by only opening yourself like that's what that's what i keep talking to young learners and students and and i keep reminding them your growth depends upon how open you are to things and real understanding and learning and comprehension lies outside of your comfort zone and it's not a cliche the moment you open yourself to joy to wonder to bewilderment um you grow you you suddenly throw yourself in uncharted territory and you discover something that you perhaps never would have you wouldn't have pushed outside of your taste your familiarity and your comfort so mm. I, i i keep going back to this and i'm constantly uh, reminding myself that you'll have to swallow everything and spit out what didn't work for you but hold what's worth ruminating over and that's how the cow works right the cow chews and chews and takes everything but only keeps the 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 ripe and the juicy thing that it can ruminate over and that's how i think creative people should work they should not decide i'm not going to chew that because it's looking thorny and it's not going to taste as good so i think that is completely that's what kind of informs our discerning ways of differentiating what is my taste and what lies outside of my taste mm-hmm. i i agree to you actually 80% so 20% is where i have a contrarian view and would like to enrich myself here by just asking so if we are open like there's also this classic thing right uh, which which is like you need to know the rules to bend the rules yeah. so you you need to know and that knowing takes a while Yes. So if you keep yourself exposed like this is my classic problem right now that I'm exposing myself to so many things that everything yeah. is bewildering or everything is yeah. equally curious then how do you master something or how do you like how do you gather those beans and just stay focused on something while the exposure is also stimulus right like you are then you're not focusing enough so how like how do you balance that out not everything that you will engage expose yourself or even swallow is going to make sense at that point of time but as long as it's i'll give you an example i grew up in the 80s in a small town called raulkela and the only exposure to cinema at that point of time was vhs the video cassettes and we lived in a small colony and there was a ritual every friday night our uh, there was a collection and few video cassettes would be brought from the local library and they would be played one after the other it was a movie night right and i was exposed to some of the most uh, if i can say at that point of time abstract and art cinema from govind nilani to uh, sham benegal to sai paranjupe and i couldn't understand anything what was happening okay i remember watching art satya and not understanding what is where is this violence coming from but i'm i'm glad that my parents exposed to me to the first chapter of indian art house cinema which is what is called now because woh ek kahin pe ja ke mere zehen mein baitha tha and so now i don't have challenges when i'm reading into world cinema when i'm looking at cinema from outside of india because i think 
it didn't stimulate me then and there but it sat somewhere quietly mm. and when time was right it bloomed my consciousness and it gave me the clarity to understand something as as complex maybe in form of felony or godad or trufo which is way outside so i think the the learning happened very homegrown with the benegal and nilani mm. and Saiparanjupe, but I think the realization happened when I was exposed to world cinema. So I think not everything that we will absorb will make sense in the here and now. But I think it also is a way of understanding of what will I expose myself to? Will I expose myself to everything mindlessly? But I think we are designed in a ways where we will get drawn to certain kind of music, certain kind of color, certain kind of writing based on how we are designed. But allow yourself to kind of hold it to as much capacity you can in this moment, and then don't expect it to give you rich dividends here and now. I think that's <laughs> the challenge of our times when we are seeking these instant gratifications. but i feel let taste something and i think the flavor of that taste will whiff in time and i think that is what i'm hoping to convey here uh, but but you'll only live it with your own uh, journey and your own experiences yeah very beautiful in fact i remembered like i interviewed rajat kapoor recently and i asked him why why do you need art and he he beautifully explained that uh then i will ask you a counter question why do you need love <laughs> uh like we can procreate we can like reproduce and whatever like we can just continue uh but there's a very important element called art now if that art comes across as a dividend as you said then it's more or less propaganda so you're like driving something for an immediate outcome but if it's if it seeps in and then like somehow emerges 10 years later 20 years later or yeah there's no like immediate like input output kind of an equation then it will help you in a long run so yeah i like it's it very very beautiful cool and one more last question before i move again back to uh, sonal is that in in plork um, you have something called as ways of seeing right yeah which i very closely related to taste also like taste you have to like go towards yeah. it and acquire it yeah uh, and recently i had been to uh, moma gallery and and there was a beautiful pencil which said it takes a while to see <laughs> uh, like small thing written very beautifully written so i i thought i'll ask this question what is ways of seeing uh, and sonal if you can have a follow up on that also but yeah nitesh uh, what what is what so i think ways of seeing happened to me uh, it's it was like a moment of truth for me when i was in nid and i was in the library and uh, i think it was our science and liberal arts professor who nudged us towards a gentleman called john berger at that point of time i didn't know anything about berger and so i went to the library and i was handed over the book called ways of seeing by berger by then it had gathered the iconic status uh, through the television series and i remember that afternoon sitting there in uh, one one corner table with light floating and uh, me being immersed in the pages of this man who's asking me to question what i'm seeing and i did five years of fine arts and not a single professor in my classroom came and said don't look at a painting question the painting or question the artist question your version and your critique of that painting 
And I think something shifted inside me and I've just been a devoted fakir to that shift. And I've been that quest of what that shift did to me even now. So I took it up very seriously and I curated and I designed a module called Ways of Seeing. When I got the opportunity to share my ideas in the classrooms of Tata Institute and NID and Shishti and Micah. Um, And I said, uh, let me be inspired by Berger, but let me not kind of, uh, uh, kind of imitate him. I think what he did in that moment empowered me to make my inquiry into the idea of seeing, the act of seeing, the act of seeing an art, act of seeing the world, act of seeing creative expressions, literature, cinema, uh, imagery, advertising, constructs of capitalism. We are witnessing, we are a witness to all of this, right? It unfolds in front of us. But truly what ways of seeing is and what Berger implied and empowered us and me to do is look within. I think ways of seeing is you you will perhaps be able to see yourself better through an inquiry to the arts by by questioning a film, by questioning a piece of literature. It's not it's not the, the outside that he's asking us to see. In a very beautiful and provocative way, he's making us see very differently before and after that inquiry. So when you when you stand in front of sunflowers, what you're not inquiring is the color and the post-impressionist and the, the mad artist who was obsessive enough to go to all and fill his world with yellow. But uh, your feelings which lie either dormant or uh, very volatile in, inside of you. I think and he, and he, I think that is truly the moment of revelation where our students get to understand, oh, it's not about seeing paintings, but it's about seeing our own inner selves, our own inner landscapes that get revealed when we encounter art or when we encounter design or when we encounter any form of creative expression. Yeah. Mm. Brilliant. I remember, again, this has been a very interesting uh, conversation so far because I'm connecting a lot of dots with my previous conversation. So I interviewed Ashish Avikuntak, uh, yes. the filmmaker, and he said that a lot of my films, when I see them uh, on movie and then see the comments, most of the comments are WTF, WTF, WTF. <laughs> and he said, that's the exact point which I want to drive, <laughs> that I don't want you to look at the film, but I want you to look at you when you are watching my film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's exactly I think that ways of seeing. Uh, mm-hmm. Sonal, you have any any uh, thoughts? I'm sure you must have discussed this multiple times uh, internally. But I actually, have been uh, fascinated with this idea that Natesh has been you know nurturing, and I've been seeing him do it over the past eight years. And no two ways of seeing sessions have been alike. Uh, so uh, I have been fortunate enough to attend most of it, and. Uh, I've recently joined him in the, on this journey of co-creating the workshops. But I look at it like uh, when I was in Mica, there was a white wall which would get uh, which was which would get whitewashed every year and then get painted upon every year. So uh, ways of seeing to me looks like that this quest that he has 
is like that wall you know it gets painted with new ideas every year and it is it's not like the old ideas have left you right like the the wall keeps taking those layers of paint every year so uh, i feel uh, it is that white that wall for me on which we paint uh, what we are feeling in that moment the artists that we are feeling about in that moment who serendipitously happen to inform our inquiry in that moment and uh, they come up on the canvas at that point of time so uh, yeah and i i and i cannot bring more emphasis on the fact that it is a lens through which uh, you see the world but before that you see yourself through that lens so you know uh, kedar i would like to add something while sonal was uh, trying to give her point of view around this so john burge is known as an essayist a writer a poet an author a critic uh, but in 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 a beautiful article somewhere i think it was tilda swinton who said that he's the grinder of lenses and i love that the fact that each one of us has a lens but that's not enough from time to time and from moment to moment we have to find someone to grind it for us because we'll not be able to grind it ourselves because we are so conditioned we are trapped in our perceptions our understanding opinions ideas limitations prejudices we need someone to come and grind it for us and that was burjo for us time and again he came and reminded us of ways in which we can sharpen what we are looking at both inwards and outwards and i and i think uh, when he passed away i felt orphaned in some sense it was like oh, you know someone had his hand over you but i think the rich uh, legacy of work that he's left behind will continue to shape minds and will continue to provoke and challenge conventions and notions around how we see things and how we see ourselves through it mm-hmm. yeah i i connect with that because like me i am not a musician i don't understand music but even i felt orphan when kishori amonkar passed away i've heard her couple of live concerts yeah. but yeah it just feels something is now no more in the world which was uh yeah. divine yeah <laughs> which cool. also offered you a sense of uh, equilibrium right like it it's offered you home it offered you a sense of shelter refuge sustenance mm-hmm. through, through how you engage with that art form or those writings or those conversations and in the absence of it what happens to you where do you go seeking uh, those rich conversations and experiences that you gathered while they were present and accessible in some form yeah yeah, yeah. cool so i'm like the follow up question actually not a follow up question a slight digression is uh, about like uh, the the kind of because what is design or what who's a mature designer is very wide a question uh, so given the plork ecosystem uh, and the kind of workshops you have been having the kind of engagement you're having with students in that realm uh, sonal maybe you can give like the first answer like how do you define or how do you inspire students or or people whom you are engaging with uh, in terms of what is design or what is maturity in design or how who's the mature designer like because again going back to that great designer series uh, mm-hmm. and the background of we are not having play enough yeah. uh, in that so the question is more within that area is mm-hmm. that like yeah do you have to be mature or do you have to be constantly naive or ignorant to have that play or master some 
I don't know, some discipline as to say typography or or uh, color theory or something and then have play. Where is this all sort of, you got the drift, right? <laughs> um, I was in an interview with uh, the director of Shishti a couple of years ago and she asked me, if you come to teach here, uh, what module you will teach? And I told her that my years at Shishti made me realize that we designers are becoming extremely reckless. The kind of wastage uh, we see in an institute like Shishti uh, in terms of paper, in terms of the sheer output, like, you know, of printing and putting. And uh, I, I said I would just do a course on undesigning. Like, can you, before even starting to think that you have a problem to solve, question the problem itself and wonder, do you really, as a designer, need to intervene here to create something new or to take something away which is existing? So uh, I think uh, when we look at block, even the interns, that we want to engage with, uh, we look at a certain maturity in their understanding of the self and their position in this world and how do they engage with the world that they exist in. And uh, we believe that uh, if they have that in their practice, if they're conscious of who they are and uh, what is the world and the context of the world for them, uh, they will be able to bring that maturity in design uh, because design can sometimes be so self-indulging but are we thinking about whom we are designing for are we mature enough to understand the target person and not say I'm doing this because I like it and it looks nice like those are the most redundant answers we hear uh, in a classroom or in a studio space and uh, so I think for much, uh, when we talk about maturity, I, uh, for me, these are the aspects that come up. Uh, whereas uh, I agree with you, like how do, how do you be mature, but you also be naive? I feel uh, you constantly engage with uh, children maybe. Like for me, it helps. Like I feel that uh, when, uh, when I feel like I'm too caught up in my head, I, I just have to give a phone call to my nephew. And it just reminds me of how, uh, of how mundane, uh, you know, uh, our problems are. And uh, he, he has this drawer in which he uh, puts things uh, meaningful or meaningless that he finds. And uh, nobody is allowed to engage with that drawer because that is his world. So what is really our world of magic that we borrow from and that we don't let go of? I know I'm not uh, very coherently answering your question on maturity maybe or uh, the naiveness, but maybe Nitesh can help me articulate this yeah, better. Yeah, I think I want to kind of extend from conversation with children. I think we will never look at children as matured individuals, right? Like this, but I think what, what if you try and deconstruct what the definition of maturity is, this, this clarity in how they understand themselves. If, if, if you understand yourself and your world with utmost clarity, your response can be extremely mature from that space. Yeah. And then you look at, say, recently we were watching this film called Come On, Come On by Mike Mills, which was part of A Ways of Seeing. And we brought that beautiful film into the discourse because Jesse, um, this young human and not kid that uh, Johnny is having a conversation with, Walking Phoenix is having a conversation with, is a, a man of his own accord. He's not a nine-year-old kid. 
And I think the utmost clarity in which he's responding to Walk in Phoenix about his apprehensions, his world, his concerns about being a part of a broken family. And if you would hear it without taking away the visual, it could be any one of us talking about those challenges of coming from a dysfunctional family. I think what maturity means is for us, perhaps, and for me, is the understanding of the self and how you respond to everything from that understanding, understanding of yourself and the world that you come and emerge and, and you respond from. Like two examples I want to give you uh, where we think that only when you acquire years of experience, you become a mature designer or a mature artist. I think I want to talk about two people and if Sonal wants to add any example, Oshin Shiva, this graphic designer, illustrator from Goa, she uh, borrows richly from her Tamil culture and her Dalit background and is rewriting um, the way visual stories should be presented in, in our times with her vivid and neon and fluorescent colors. So as much as, and, and borrowing from dreamscapes, surrealism and speculative fiction and decolonization of ideas and, and narratives, uh, it is equally important as Panchatantra was at some point of time. So I think the stories um, that are defining to our times will have to be written in ways of self-awareness, which become mature acts of creative ideas that we are presenting to the world. So if you look at Oshin Shiva's work, you look at this film called Bebag by Shahjia uh, Iqbal, you see it's a young filmmaker, first debut shot. but talking about extreme complexities of a young girl from a Muslim background wanting to study and educate herself in a world which is pulling her back and trapping her with the preconditioned ideologies that that religion is shrouded with. So I think it's a very progressive film. And when you watch Beba, you, you perhaps will think that, oh, someone who's lived all their life trying to unravel the complexities of religion uh, and secularism is perhaps responding to it. But it's a young filmmaker and it's a first debut shot. So I think unlike how it is usually perceived that maturity comes with age, I think it comes with your self-awareness. And and and, think, and oh, one just to uh, bring back the thing to maturity and uh, naiveness, I feel uh, when I met Weber of Kumresh in the classroom, uh, for me, he is that person who is, uh, and I think you've interviewed uh, uh, him. And uh, when I met Weber, I realized he's an extremely mature human being, but he has that childlike naive quality, which he is constantly holding on to when he is telling stories. And uh, for me, he's that person who can uh, be sensitive about the world that he's inhabiting and be mature about his practice, but also at the same time, never let go of play, never look less animated uh, than he is in every moment that he is breathing into his characters. So uh, being mature doesn't mean being solemn. It just means taking your play very, very seriously. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. But then how, like, how does play fit into this corporate world? I mean, this would be a real challenge for you people when you're dealing or, or conducting these courses, workshops, yes. uh, and sure, like a lot of things will unfold in the coming time. But in, in a corporate world, so, First of all, they like land up in like 
uh, uh, apprehension oh like like no no play there this pnl there's like profit and loss sheet uh, which uh, the board and the investors are uh, we are accountable for so uh, like uh, is it possible like where would play fit in yeah so uh, we were also talking about it we were like you know uh, because we were trying to build uh, we are trying to build our website and uh, i think play again it's a perception that it is for children uh, i think play has a way of uh, play is a language it is a way mm. of communicating very difficult ideas very difficult truths a uh, very dystopian ideas uh, in a way that you engage with it you truly engage with it and your characteristics as who you are emerges that's why play is always subjective to who is playing and when we were writing about it in the website we realized that uh, everything we are doing is actually play like uh, if you look at uh, uh, so the kind of rules that we were putting out that there are always two players so is in game and so is in life if there is not a client or if there is not someone to take my designer i'm not a designer so uh, the rules of play are almost imitating reality it's like he tells me art imitates reality i tell him play imitates reality it's 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 build the construct is that it's just that uh, the word itself uh, pushes us back into believing that play is not for us we are too grown up for it and uh, within corporate structures i would like to give you an example that we are re- we recently engaged in a three month long workshop with a mid level advertising agency in amdabad and uh, they just decided that uh, there is too much work and they need to also uh, be able to play a little bit and learn a little bit with their employees so the heads of the company along with eight or 10 of their employees uh, engaged in clock workshops twice a week for 3 months and all we did was uh, disrupt the way they were working their systems and you don't do it all at once you don't tell the corporates or the big clients that i'm going to come here and i'm going to play and i'm going to disrupt your show no you just show them a way of being because play is an attitude right it's not something uh, that you just decide to do one day and then you do it uh, it's something you cultivate mm. it and there is a, a book that i recently read which is tomorrow tomorrow and tomorrow and uh, i finally happened to finish it and there is a, a part in that book when it says that what is a game and it says that it's tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow it's the possibility of infinite rebirth infinite redemption the idea that if you keep playing you could win no loss is permanent because nothing is permanent ever so if you look at it it play is so philosophical play is a uh, play is our everydayness of losing and then getting up and trying to win again and then losing again so ஒருத்தர்ப்போய் who's extremely smart who's extremely uh, sorry uh, sorry 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 to interrupt because i'll lose my chain of thought we want to continue i just want to like double click on one small thing which uh, sonal mentioned uh, it connected with me to a film by nagesh kukunur 
teen diware yes. and uh, in the last scene i remember when juhi chawla comes to uh, nasruddin shah and says zindagi koi khel nahi hai mm-hmm. to which he responds very beautifully ha lekin usko us nazar se dekhenge to maza bada aata hai so oh, yeah it, it's just like very nicely put um, uh, sorry sorry to interrupt you but yeah so so i was talking about i was giving a more direct and not a philosophical response i'm glad we have a multiple perspective to this now let's look at an, uh, a setup an organizational setup and there's a smart vice president extremely aware extremely articulate extremely um, conceptual in the frameworks that are that are being offered how long do you think this run will last uh, you we human beings are designed to run out of our ideas run out of our elements that make us win okay so i think now let's kind of step back and say so okay what are the ingredients of play play allows you to make mistakes take chances plays allow you to offer ideas which are unconventional and unexpected it offers you a chance to surprise yourself the question here is when was the last time you surprised yourself with the idea that you brought to table as a manager as a vice president as you know a ceo i think we we have templatized corporate structures and because we feel that certain ideas work and they will keep working till one day it doesn't work then you will be compelled to be fearless you will be compelled to throw unconventional ideas on the floor and on the table and then see are they takers or not because you will run out of the tricks we all will run out of our tricks our awareness of the self will go go only as long till we have to surprise ourselves till we have to speak in a language which is not ours and then see what happens to that that is taking chances that is what play empowers you to do and it it is it is an act of audacity to play where the whole world is asking you to work but i think that is where the shift happens otherwise how do we move paradigms how do we bring new lease of life into the usual everydayness of finding solutions to problems that are th- thrown at us at every point of time yeah so mm-hmm. i i think we need to look at like sonal said look at play as a philosophy and not as a preconceived idea that oh oh to it's like imagine if, if your employees can become smarter by playing rubik's cube why not give them an afternoon to just play rubik's cube and why do they have to watch 10 ted talks to become smart yeah and of course it's that concept of andism play rubik's cube and also watch the ted talk but don't rely on just watching these 10 ted talks that will make you the ceo or the vp next year i think i think go, going beyond listicles is a way of you know asking yourself what else i can play with and and i'm i'm just pushing this point a little more in this particular cohort of ways of seeing we have a colorist working with us and and she and one of the most famous colorists uh, that india has and and has worked in some of the amazing independent films and she told us that i'm here because i know my tricks and i know that i i am doing something that people will expect and will get from me there's no joy in that mm-hmm. i want to i've stopped playing enough to surprise myself and say i never imagined i will do this to this moment in the film which through which it will enlighten it will it will elevate and i think that's what we need and the question is kedar when was the last time you did something 
and you surprised yourself. When was the last time Nitesh did something that he surprised himself? And so did Sonal and so did all of us. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe I think the biggest challenge for you then is the articulating or defining what plays to these corporates. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. I think I, that's where maybe US has like popularized fun as a word. Now that fun has many connotations. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> being abused also and being like celebrated as well. True. I think yeah. that play has to be. I was just while while uh, Sonal was talking about play and the the challenge. Uh, thank God we didn't have like the West didn't took the word Leela and tried <laughs> to make it popularize. Because Leela has then yeah. many other connotations. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sorry, uh, Sonal, you were saying something. Yeah. I think you can only do that, uh, which is also conversation I am having with uh, Nitesh and the other team members of Plow. We can only uh, educate the corporates about play by engaging them in a game of play. Mm. The moment I start playing with you, I, it will take me only two minutes to open you up. It just opens you up as, and you cannot hide them. You just cannot hide. Because even if we are playing a friendly match of Scrabble, you are likely to see uh, all facets of both of us in that one game of Scrabble. It's not going to decide anything. The outcome, whether he wins or whether I win, there is not like uh, the rules of the house will change or anything. But it's just the act of playing. It it opens up something so authentic in who you are and your way of being. So I think we can only communicate with them by inventing another game in which we can engage with them through play. That's what I feel as a designer. And that's my designer mind talking that we need something like that. But yeah. unfortunately, corporates think by doing that annual outbound, they're playing enough. Yeah. Mm. And, <laughs> and I think, look at the, look at the traversity of things, right? One day of the year or three days of the year, you allow people to understand what team spirit means by playful ways of making them come closer to each other. It's ridiculous. It should be a culture. It should be a way of being when you're constantly playing with each other so much that you don't need that three-day getaway retreat and outbound in Goa to understand what uh, you know the what what it means to work within a team. So through a playful engagement or expression, yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, a- uh, I wanted to add something to that. Is that I, I listened to one of the monks of uh, Ramkrishna Mat. Uh, his name is Swami Sarvapriyananda. And uh, in his one of his talks, he was talking about Martin Seligman, talking about uh, the the uh, educator, psychologist, that was the definition of happiness. Mm. Uh, and uh, he, I, I remember it was in, I think, IIT Lucknow or some IIT Kanpur. Uh, he was giving a lecture and I was watching on YouTube. So he drew H is equal to P plus E plus M. Uh, P is pleasure, E is engagement, and M is meaning. Wow. So he gave a good example of happiness that H. So so pleasure is like you watching a match in your in our case right now watching that TED talk, yeah. uh, and then engagement is actually playing a match. Yeah, you remember much more than just yeah. watching it. And yeah. then if you like win and then give away the prize, which is again then the, the spiritual realm of like. Detachment and so on and so forth. But that's meaning. So all yeah. these three put together will become uh, happiness is what 
both the schools of thought sort of yeah. coincided there so yeah yes and recently like sonal said we are putting the manifesto for our website and we don't play to win we play to learn and i think the day we will shift the objective of playing i think playing has always got to do with winning so you play tennis who's going to win boris becker or stefan edberg so i think uh, i think the challenge is how do we shift the perception around are we playing to win or are we playing to learn and but i, I think, think the beautiful part about even playing to win is that even if you win you play again unlike other things in life which you once achieve you don't do again right mm. that's the beautiful part about play for me that irrespective of the outcome you will start over again and mm. you will it's not like india will not play the world cup again so <laughs> you know, that i think that's and that happens only in play it doesn't happen uh, otherwise because uh, there are so many projects if it doesn't happen you're like yeah no let's just leave it and let's move on to the mm. next thing else yeah. so Yeah. Yeah, it's layered layered for multiple layers. <laughs> okay. Uh I'll like just for the uh, we can keep talking endlessly on this but just last two questions uh, to conclude these. Um so given you use the word undesign or like the challenges of explaining the word play uh all this is still when people are getting sort of in the workforce or or getting employed right like if you face the other side which you have been doing with students uh like any any key big gaps that you see in since we are talking now more philosophical it could be just education at large than art education but um, yeah again this demands a dedicated audio again but still like just any thoughts on that that and and i have seen this uh through audio gan when i work with say practicing professionals or when i talk to them they have a different world view they have different expectations from uh students and and people coming into the job force while when i speak to academics uh academicians they are still in somewhere in the traditional school of thought that will teach you fundamentals obviously in schools and then now there is a new breed of boot camps which has come like now we'll chuck both of them and give you some certificate <laughs> so so yeah uh, or or make you build your portfolio which will just land up in a job that's it like no yeah. no uh, so any any key observations about the gaps in design or art education that you want to address i think more for me uh, because kidar i think he's had the honor to go to to design like i tell him you are quite lucky that way because i think to get the right guidance at the right time and to uh, move into these schools and uh, be around people when you know your mind is like uh, wet clay and you're you're waiting to absorb all these ideas and i think that's why burger could have such a deep impact on him visa we or life going through eight to nine years of you understanding okay but where am i really going uh, with all of this and how do i articulate this creative a uh, spark that i feel within but i don't know how to either tell it to my teachers or to my parents and make them understand what is it that i want to do with this and uh, the gaps that i feel is now when we are curating ways of seeing is that i wish i was taught about uh, history through the paintings of renaissance 
And I wish I was taught about environment and nature through the paintings of uh, Van Gogh and the extensive landscape painting that Van Gogh has done. And maybe about the World War through the photographs of Eugene Smith. So I, I feel that art has never informed our studies. We have made art a subject which happens weekly. Uh, once in a week where also you are imitating the teacher and you have to do exactly what the teacher is asking you to draw or paint otherwise you are not a good student and uh, the idea of liberal arts or critical thinking is still happening much later on uh, in education uh, which I think is a pity like you know if uh, art has to be looked at as a language and not as a subject that you are teaching at a particular time of the week uh, it is through which you can learn everything about the world I feel like uh, if we just look at uh, mythology if you look at uh, if you start from there and if you go to the miniature paintings and everything I'm telling you there is nothing in that you have learned from your first standard to your 10th standard that you can't learn through art just through the subject of art so uh, I wish art can inform all the other subjects uh, that we are learning from. It becomes visually more enriching. It is also then at a time when attention spans are so minuscule, like uh, it is as long as an Insta story. So then you're truly engaging with your audience where they are in the world. And having a visual memory myself, I remember even text as images. I don't remember text as text even though I love writing but I don't I remember the alphabets and the shape of it but I don't remember what it read as mm -hmm. so uh, just just enhancing the visual memory the visual intelligence and the visual language of children uh and from a very nascent age not not at college level and not at plus two and all of that so mm -hmm. yeah. that for me is a gap yeah mm -hmm. and and what about so bringing art or bringing context to what you're learning through art is one paradigm. And the second one, uh, like where are you at with this? Because I remember I interviewed uh, Vikram Galot, who's also a friend and an educator in Delhi. And he said, like, all my marks were given because this king came to Haldi Ghati on dash. If you remember the date, you get one mark. But nobody questions as to why he came. Yeah. Uh, what was the geographical context in which this king had to invade and come to this particular thing so where are you with respect to stories then so i think uh i like i told you like uh the only way you remember things is through stories that's exactly what we are doing in ways of uh, mm -hmm. i remember memorizing history again battle of Plassey, 1757 this that <laughs> and it was like a panic attack my bed sheets and my pajamas would be filled with drawings. And my mother would be sick of me because she would be like, you can just take a piece of paper. But I don't know why I was doing that. But I had to visually represent that to remember it. And where stories are concerned, when I look at Van Gogh's wheat trust, what was this obsession? To just uh, paint wheat fields and going on painting wheat fields. And if you keep asking why... You will move to the relevance of wheat. You can move into the agriculture. You can move into why France has so many VP. Just asking why. I, the relevance is there. It's just that we were never told it's significant. We were never told that you even have the right to ask why. Like why? But we've gone to our parents and I have told her that why am I learning topography? What is this 
thing I'm measuring with the thread, which I don't even understand. So I think so much of our education system was just unresolved questioning the answers to which our parents didn't have, the answers to which our teachers didn't have. So yeah, I think if we just told better stories and if we told uh, chapters through stories, we will remember them better for sure. Or even as a rap song or anything which is palatable to anybody, uh, it is just better remembered. Like, I'm so bad with names. I forget so much that this is a confession, but I'll do it. Uh, recently, we were uh, watching uh, Julian Schnabel's film At Eternity's Gate. And uh, the cinematographer is Benoit Delhomme. I can say that now, but I deconstructed it for myself. I come from Calcutta. I said, okay, Benoit is Benoit in Bengali. So that makes it closer home. I will remember it. Dell is a laptop and laptops are at home. So Benoit Dell home. I remember. It's a story. I told myself. And that's the easiest way to remember. Something. And you'll never forget. And now I'll never forget it. Because I'm like mm. Benoit. You know? Now it's someone I drink tea with, you know, in my pada. So he's just come closer home. So mm. yeah, that's what they do. They help us remember things. Yeah. Uh. I, I, I just am very to add something here uh, from Sonal's very perceptive way of making us understand that if uh, history was taught to us through storytelling, we would understand history better through the context of storytelling, right? But it's surprising and, and I'm not trying to uh, pinpoint uh, something that we are not aware of. I go and teach color to the art direction and production design department in FTI. And uh, you'll be surprised, Kedar, that uh, they study color by looking at, or they have been, till I went and questioned it, you you can study color by looking at color usage of color in cinema, but how can you not study color from the origin of color, which is paintings, right? Mm -hmm. I think what I tell my students in my call, so you can't make great ads by looking at great ads. You have to look at poetry and theater and cinema and literature to make great ads. So I, I think uh, I was surprised when in my classroom uh, with, with in, the, in a film study department when they said, oh, we don't know a technique called chiaroscuro or a Rembrandt light. I said, then what are you studying? Uh, you're studying the light of uh, Fellini and Antonioni. Where does that come from? Where have they borrowed that from? I think it is so fundamental to our learning that you borrow from art. Art is the origin of all learnings, all borrowings. And how can you overlook it or deny that learning, which is which is glaring, which is what we are trying to address. That that you cannot study the photography of Cartier Bresson without understanding how Rembrandt was obsessed with light falling from the window, one-sided to get darkness and light, and that you know, we understood as sharp contrast. Today, we talk about sharp contrast without understanding Rembrandt. But the origin, the father of sharp contrast is Rembrandt. And, and how, how can you not know about it? And if you know about it, how enriching your understanding of sharp contrast can be, how playful it can be, how varied it can be. Then you move sharp contrast all around and not just one directional. And that changes the game. That's where you've taken chance. That's where you've done something without, you know, being aware of, I know sharp contrast. Yeah, and it stitches yeah. back to that same thing which I was talking about that we are so aware of our tricks that we've not tried playing outside of that realm. 
spinning. Yeah, I I can see that very clearly with Ayaz's practice also and with Varun Grover. I remember Varun Grover in one of his interviews kisi ne pucha ki aap likhte kaise ho. To he said uh, I think I do everything apart from writing. <laughs> and that fuels my writing. And with Ayaz's practice at at bus ride whatever I can see on Instagram little bit is it's nothing to do with actual whatever interior yeah. autocad it's yeah. it's everything outside autocad yeah. probably absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and we invited varun to my car for our orientation and students were sitting with we will know 10 ways to write good lyrics good script writing he spoke about his grandfather's literature collection Mm-hmm. and for one hour he just spoke about the richness of punjabi literature partition how literature was divided across the border and those dusty cabinets in through which he discovered some of the writers who are still looming over uh, you know his world and people are waiting like how do we write to kisi rail se jo guzarti hai or whatever I I I I think it's so important to not give what people come seeking and then surprise them with philosophy with poetry with uh, speculative fiction with graphic novels and then push them into those spaces and then help them discover that they say the great teacher is not who shows you what you want to see but who sends you in direction of finding what you are looking for and I think if I show you what you want to see this end of learning But if I nudge you in direction, you will discover something that will be yours to hold, and that will be very precious to you, and nothing to do with the teacher. And that's how learning should be. Correct. Okay, now, हम लोग अभी like बहुत ही common resonance level पे आए हैं, जहाँ पे we are all romantic about the way of learning, but practical reality is very different. Like, it's it's I can. confidently say looking at the number of listeners of audio gan or number of followers people have as opposed to jo directly like 499 mein design seekhe uh wala following hai right so where do you think or what do you think and this is again a open question for both of you is the future of design education or or education again art and design especially in india when we are still the the jhola <laughs> where like in in reality right like what we spoke about so far is definitely inspiring me is definitely inspiring few of them who get it and will like start their journey so i'm mm-hmm. happy for them but as i keep talking with my friend that what are few more sacrifices we have to do as as uh, maybe a little more aware designers and educators uh, of like where do you see the future of education obviously <laughs> you want to take that we both have to do it okay <laughs> yeah uh, so can i go so for i i think i want to just rewind a little and respond to the idea of romantic that you attach to the baby a seeing and visaging I feel this romanticism is essential, Kedar. I think no great battles were won without the romantic idealism behind the cause. And I'm not again trying to uh, make Che Guevara the poster boy of this conversation. But I think if we lose this um, romanticism, this idealism, 
the sense of belief. Uh, we will have nothing to hold on to. We'll give in to those learned design in, in Ruby's whole 99. And we will become one of them. This is this is a tougher space to hold when we are questioning, we are inquiring, we are deliberating, we are discussing, we are we are willing to bear ourselves with our naiveness about a beautiful utopia that we are imagining, which might not uh, be something that we will live to see. But if these conversations die, what sustains the world? What defines the world and what designs the world? So I think the future of education is in fact the, the 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 current status of education here and now. There is no future. We are we are in the future, and and that's I think that's a course correction that we should start by accepting. Uh, we are designing the future here and now. And if I'm talking about the here and now, I think the shift that I have seen as an educator over the last decade is allowing myself in the power of the autodidact and not the academic branded educator. I think someone who's taken upon themselves to learn without wanting to walk into the gates of one of the finest institutes, which will give him a tappa that you are an NIDN now and no one can question you about your design <laughs> ideas. And ironically, I'm a graduate of a design school and I'm speaking like that. I think the hunger to learn, to question, to offer will be more in the autodidact than someone who's coming from a very safe space of an academic institution. So then I want to also uh, make people understand that we will have to learn from the internet. The question is, what am I going to teach that the internet doesn't already offer you as ideas, information and imagination? There is everything. In fact, teachers or educators or facilitators like Sonal and me borrow from the internet. But what we do is we distill it. We hold what is essential and then offer it as curated ideas for you to consider or, or, or take cognizance of. So the internet can be a very noisy space. It can be a very crowded space. But you will have to learn from bloggers. You will have to go to podcasts and listen to one episode of Audiogan to understand what Bibi Doshi was talking about, the future of urban landscaping and how what perhaps will hold all of that together is the soul through which it's created. And I think these conversations that are happening outside of a traditional classroom will have to have to uh, be acknowledged. And also, and in, in some say, say that, okay, the repository is outside of the classroom. The classroom primarily just acts as a space of conversation. You bring those ideas back and then challenge the facilitator or challenge a peer and make them see things differently. So I think unlike the earlier world where the professor knew it all and everyone had to say yes, I think I'm so glad there was Pink Floyd and and they said we don't need no education. I think the idea of education itself needs to be reconceptualized, redefined, uh, realigned to the times, and 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 then be offered. Uh, not trying to say that okay, uh, here's a space where you will find all your answers. I think mm -hmm. teachers of today will have to start by saying I don't know everything, but. I can guide you to find what perhaps you're looking for. And in that journey, I will also find something for myself. So in, in, a, in a very lighthearted way, when I walk into the classroom and I see my students zone out, which I call daydreaming, I said, it's amazing if you are in some space, which is more enriching than what I have to offer. Please take me there as well. 
I want to know what that Taylor Swift song is that is brewing in your head that you are struggling to offer attention to my ideas in the classroom. So I think we have to allow daydreaming. We have to allow the walls of the classroom to dissolve so people can drift and then come back to a space, which perhaps we can call classroom, just to collate ideas and say, so what did you gather? Tell me, mm. show me, surprise me uh, and enrich me and, and make me learn with you. I think we have to be co-travelers and it can't be professor and student and facilitator and learner. We have to redefine these terms. And that's my uh, manifesto or dream or version of the future of learning and future of education. I um, I feel that the only thing I will add to what Nitesh said that I believe in the cyclical nature of things. I feel uh, I almost look at uh, life in a very circular form, which is that you always come back where you started from. And in a recent movie of uh, Varun Grover, he speaks about the Uddham, which is your starting point of something. Origin. Right? The origin. So I feel that the future of education is going back to the roots. I feel it will, designers will have to look back at a simpler time because there is so much clutter already. And uh, when we invented the aeroplane, we were looking at uh, biomimicry. We started by imitating nature. We started by uh, taking those small strides, right? And I think we have to go back there because we'll exhaust ourselves of these templates that we have built and upon which design is rebuilding itself every day. So where do we go back to? We go back to the foundation. So the whole system is either going to collapse or we are going to circle back and say we just reflect back on the roots and like they say that there are all the answers in the Mahabharata so maybe we will live with the epic sagas and we will again reinvent our life looking at old literature and old history and looking at nature so I feel the future is almost future backward it's like you have mm. to have to go back to where you started and begin again again it's very I didn't intend it to be like that, but it is a game and it is going to be played. Start over all again. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. That positive note and resonating note for me because I I believe in the same school. Uh, and I remember one more quote, I think from Nilkan Chia's episode that he said, knowledge is so explosive that it can't be kept in libraries. So, oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. So, it's, it's um, very, very... Uh, encouraging and a positive note uh, to I guess conclude this episode anything else you want to add I'm not in for like plugging Plork because people know about you but if you have anything to share as concluding thoughts it would be great otherwise yeah no no concluding thoughts as such it's just been such a sheer pleasure talking to you Keda, because I think like uh, I've always believed when you uh, hear yourself aloud you have more clarity about your vision, about your affirmations. You feel more assured about your ideologies. Otherwise, you we are carrying these repository of thoughts and archives of emotions. Uh, and if we don't put it out there in the world, uh, it would not make sense to anyone. So thank you for giving this opportunity to helping us hear ourselves mm -hmm. as we are talking to your listeners. But um, I think if there's one thing that I would want to leave the listeners with is um, allow yourself to pause and reflect and have a conversation with your life, with your practice, with your engagement. And please, please, please be authentic 
in that conversation because we are mostly uh, trying to appease ourselves by saying that, okay, I'm part of the hustle, this is the grind, and I'm enjoying the uh, the rush and the high and the adrenaline. Uh, and I think learning, true learning, true discovery lies outside of these schmuck uh, assumptions and, and facades that we live within. And I think the sooner you're ready to break uh, down these constructs that you have created for yourself or certain conditionings have created for yourself, a part of you will reveal which will need nurturing. And perhaps that's learning. That's education. That that is not a refresher's course. That is something that is that that will demand an ongoing relationship. And, and please allow yourself to have that. Just because you went to one of the most finest institutes doesn't mean that you learned it all. And just because you think you're learning on ground, that might not be the real learning. So what is learning truly is for you? Have that conversation. And if you find it in a TED talk, go seeking that. If you find it in a classroom or blog, come seeking that. And hopefully you'll go back with renewed rigor and vigor and clarity to your own practice. Yeah. And I think uh, that's what. Yeah, just thank you so much for having us. This was a beautiful Sunday afternoon. And uh, we could just be here all day and keep chatting with yeah. you. It's been such yeah. a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks. It was all my pleasure. Thank you for uh, giving your time and looking forward to having you again and definitely planning my visit to Goa for a longer conversation. Yes. So, yes. till then, all the best for Plok and uh, I hope this session just inspires few people in understanding uh, design, education, art at large. So, thank you. Thank you once again. Thank you, Kedar. Thank you so much. Awesome. And that's it from today's Gyan session. For show notes and more Gyan, visit audiogan.com. And if you wish to connect with me, I'm at audiogan moments on Instagram. Until then, take care.